This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, April 4th, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. Heroin users have often been burned by the clinical system, the criminal justice system, and others who are supposed to help. Darwin Fisher is program manager and coordinator of the Insight Clinic, a supervised injection facility in Vancouver, British Columbia. Much of his work focuses on meeting drug users where they are, and he says it makes all the difference. We spoke at the Cato Institute's Harm Reduction Conference last month. Describe the kind of people who come to your facility. The sort of people that attend Insight are, I think, some of Canada's poorest citizens. Most of them are unhoused or underhoused. They tend to be entrenched substance users who have been injecting substances for multiple years. Most of them, many of them, are going to struggle to access any other societal services, i.e. they are often barred from clinical services, struggle to access housing, uh, any community centers often don't want to see them. They are just people who are completely ostracized from society. And they are almost to a person coming from backgrounds of extraordinary privation, poverty, and trauma. And I feel as though their drug use, their opiate use, their stimulant use and things like that are kind of survival reactions to mitigate what can feel like an unbearable existence. That's what some of the users relate to me when we just talk about things like that. So insight fundamentally, outside of keeping people alive and preventing disease transmission and all these things, it recognizes that this population exists because this population exists, I think, in every major city, and yet we consign them to the margins and the alleys, and most of us don't even know that they exist. And it's like that movie Alien, in space no one can hear you scream. The pain that people have endured that's brought them sometimes to the downtown east side and brought them to using opiates It's unheard pain, and one of the moving aspects for me of working at Insight is a tough one, and it's to witness some of that pain sometimes because that's important. So pain, homelessness, trauma, that's a characteristic of a lot of people that come to the site. What kind of services do you provide? Well, that's an excellent question. The services that we provide at the site range from astonishingly basic to quite nuanced in some ways. Ultimately, as opposed to people using in the alley, what changes about using it insight? Well, in the alley, you are going to be standing probably behind a dumpster, injecting in a way that's called a shake and bake. That means you are preparing your drugs in the syringe. You pop off the top of the syringe, you dump your powder in, You get water in that syringe. How do you get water in that syringe? Maybe you're lucky enough to have water from a needle exchange. Maybe you're going to be getting water from where it often is in Vancouver, that is on the ground. You are then trying to find a vein in all kinds of weather, outdoors, in a rush, standing in an incredibly unhygienic environment. Uh, Again, you're hidden so that if you have an overdose, nobody's going to see you. You're courting soft tissue infections, disease transmission, if you've got that rig off somebody else, and overdose fatality if you go down behind that dumpster. 
So what changes about Insight? What does it offer? You go indoors, you're out of the rain, it's temperature controlled, you have access to sinks. Whoopee! Cushy, cushy. Hey, you can wash your hands and wash the injection site. Then you can go into a room where there are nurses and staff to look after you in case of an overdose event. But beyond that, they will help you discover safer injection practices if you wish. You can go and talk and visit a nurse around wound care, around point-of-care HIV testing or STI testing. You can inquire about getting into detox and treatment, which we featured directly above Insight. You can ask about housing or shelter, or you can just come in and hang out and talk about the Boston Bruins' chances in the playoffs or the... Captain Marvel superhero movie and how that fizzed on you or just the stuff of life. So in a way, it's a fairly broad range of services that people access. What allows them to access is that we have this space called insight that they enter into. And, uh, and that's a whole lot different than maybe trying to do outreach and other things like that. You mentioned uh, something about uh, women who were long-term uh, opiate or opioid users uh, who had never injected themselves. What does that mean? Why is that an important thing to take note of? Well, it's, you know, and I'm not saying it's like every second woman is in this case, but there is a, there is definitely a percentage of people, primarily women, who are not self-injectors. That is, they are injected by people. And often that evolves just as part of the culture. That's how they, that's how they became IV injectors. Their partner uh, scored and would inject them. And that's just always been the case that they've never been allowed to self-inject. And it's, it's something that I actually wish I would unpack more around the specifics that way. But the fact is, uh, we have a mandate that people must self-inject at Insight. Uh, in some ways, that can be a barrier to people. But what that means is that when some of these people, often women, show up, we can engage them in best practices. And when you have best practices and you are in control, that is, you can make sure that you have clean equipment that hasn't been used. It's not a one poke for me, one poke for you situation. Your health outcomes are going to be better. You can learn about safer vein care, rotating veins, the benefits of using a tourniquet, the benefits of basic hygiene to prevent soft tissue infections. It can feel counterintuitive on the very surface. Oh, we're teaching people how to inject. But ultimately, that provides independence and greater safety for people. What does the, the fact that you provide uh, services like uh, detecting uh, other diseases uh, what does that do, one, for those people and for the broader public? Well, uh, in the early 1990s, Vancouver had the super high HIV seroconversion rates and hepatitis C was at saturation levels. And so there was a citywide program to try and reduce these levels, of which needle exchanges and the supervised injection site were a big part. Uh, so the provision not only of clean equipment that's used in an environment that doesn't permit sharing, that was an important thing, but also the access to easy point-of-care testing around HIV in an environment where you feel comfortable accessing that, that test and comfortable with the follow-up that will happen from that. Comfort and trust is everything. 
You could have all kinds of services putatively available to drug users or to anybody. But if you don't create the circumstances where people want to access those things, they're not going to because accessing healthcare, newsflash, it's an emotional thing. It's a fraught process for anybody, for me, for you, certainly for marginalized drug users. So creating that space where they actually feel comfortable about getting tested is really important. It, it seems critical then that uh, you, your uh, facility and o- other places uh, like it, establish substantial uh, credibility with these people on an individual basis. That is absolutely uh, uh the first priority. And it was a worry before we opened, will people come to this? And it's funny because I, you get to know people long-term and I know some of the folks that, uh, you know, they, some of them have stopped using and they're doing other different and amazing things in their lives. And I was having lunch with one of these good gentlemen and he was saying to me, yeah, I can remember when I first heard about Insight, I was, uh, I was a dope fiend shooting up in the alley and guy comes up to me and says, Hey, there's a new place run by the government. You can go use there. And he said, I thought to myself, yeah, yeah, I'm really going to do that. I'm going to go to some place, give him my name, walk into a room with a bunch of other people, take out my dope and my works and use in front of them. No way that's going to happen. So for a lot of users, that might be the default assumption. They've been so burned by their interactions with Sometimes the clinical system, definitely the corrections system, sometimes the social services system, every system hasn't worked for them. And now we're here with a new system for you. And I wouldn't be, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised if a lot of them said, hey, I barely recovered from the last time you tried to help me. So no, thank you. So it was really important to take some steps to make it open and welcoming and transparent to people who would justifiably have some suspicions about it. That means we're not being onerous around our intake rules. We're not subjecting you to a bunch of bureaucracy or BS around that. We can do it in a way that is a responsible adjudication, but also non-bureaucratic. Doesn't ask you to fill out a bunch of paperwork. How many times have you OD'd? Are you HIV positive? Do you know anybody who's died from an overdose? All these traumatizing BS questions. Uh, So non-bureaucratic access that way. Uh, That promotion of that idea of community, the engagement of people from the community, often active drug users in the running of the site. That is a huge factor in terms of providing that sense of trust and comfort for people. And then if you're working there, you want to you want to be oriented towards that warm presentation, warm, non-judgmental presentation. You better be interested in engaging with some really interesting people. You know, you better want to do that because that's everything. What seems like a surface engagement, the way you're smiling at me right now and things like that, this is really important to us. And so much around healthcare delivery, around the way we deal with drug users has this po-faced look to it. It's it's very serious and we must be very serious around this. And it's just like, I can't imagine what it's like to be a drug user and everybody you come across with has that same sort of look there. I, after a while, would stop coming around you, you know? So let's find spaces of meaning and spaces of celebration when they are there to be found with people who have very tough lives and very heavy burdens, but also have a capacity for joy in them. Let's make that happen. You, you mentioned uh, securing healthcare being an emotional thing, and I'm just imagining uh, or remembering rather uh, a, doctor, a doctor of mine telling me that I eat too much fast food. And I can only imagine uh, having that sort of sense of seriousness multiplied uh, 
you know, many times over. Well, it's so funny to unpack what it's like for uh, drug users trying to access clinical systems. Often what happens when, you know, uh, they walk into an ER or even a clinic, the first time they get noticed is by the uniform security that's there, right? It's just like, oh, here's somebody I'm going to pay attention to. So that's kind of often the only one-on-one attention a drug user is going to get at those services. It's from the uniforms, right? So there's a barrier right there. And then for me to sit in front of you at a desk and have to negotiate paperwork and things like that, that's a power relationship. And I guarantee you the power is not on my side as the person who's trying to access that. And and often I'm accessing these services when I am under duress and stress, and that doesn't make things any easier. And Let's suppose that I do some of the things that people do when they're in pain. Maybe I've got potty mouth and I swear a bit or I'm kind of like, when the, when the hell is this moving? Come on, come on, come on. If I'm a visibly poor person or a visible drug user, I am a violence risk. For me, for middle class me to come in there, I'm just a poor middle class person with a hurt finger who's showing some stress that way. But generally, you're going to be seen often as maybe a potential threat, right? And if that gets on your file, all of a sudden that's going to haunt your healthcare visits that way. So there's emotional aspects to investigating care, but there's also real pragmatic barriers towards drug users accessing care. And you get past the bureaucratic barrier and the security guard barrier. And then I'm sitting in the waiting room of the clinic waiting to be seen. And I am homeless and I don't have many opportunities to change my clothes if I had other clothes or to clean myself. And I've sat with people in those situations where they are just absolutely mortified about being an outlier who hasn't been able to bathe in a month in a room full of people waiting for care. So as a drug user or a poor person or poor drug user, you are, you're an outlier even in that situation. And that half hour wait, maybe that hour wait can be an ocean of time. I was with one drug user in that situation and he kind of took the bull by the horns and he said, hands up. Uh, who in the row that I'm sitting in can smell me? Everybody put your hands up. Okay. Now the row behind me who can smell. And it was funny, but it made a point, you know? And if I'm in that situation and I'm feeling mortified, I might just go out for a smoke and never come back. How do you make this case to Americans? Um, You know, the United States has some pretty clear laws regarding uh, opioids and opiates and uh, their use and their simple simple possession, for that matter. Um, If you wanted to make the case to someone who's fairly conservative, who thinks that drug use is wrong, uh, and you wanted to make this pitch in the name of reducing overall harm, uh, what would you say? Well, there's a variety of things that I want to say. First of all, you want to talk about who's at risk here. And, and you want to try and make it into an us rather than a them situation. And I think this affects friends and family and, and a broad swath of people. We talk at Insight and our catchment is some of the poorest and most marginalized users in Canada maybe in North America. But the fact is that site and those safety provisions are open to anyone who uses drugs. And this could be a daughter, a son, a sister, a brother, all those things. So humanizing and giving more nuance to who it is that's suffering in this crisis is really important. The other thing that I would say, and I don't like pushing this too hard, but as an avenue to care, people talk about Oh, these services enable drug use. Well, they don't enable drug use. What enables drug use is being marginalized to the alley without a pot to piss in, without a hope in hell. That's when I want that pain relief. Straight into my bloodstream, please. Right? But 
what supervised consumption sites and caring services for drug users do enable is the access of greater care. So again, Insight gets an enormous amount of people into the detox and treatment system every year. And it does that because we are non-judgmental around that basic activity that people are doing that's a central part of their lives, which is injecting drugs into their bloodstream, right? The fact that we are tolerant of that and make a space for that and care for those people non-judgmentally is what enables access to care that we might all recognize as being good and proper, whether that's hand washing or access to detox and treatment. And my philosophy around access to detox and treatment for people at Insight is that it's 100% successful, meaning every impulse towards wellness wants to be supported and applauded that way. The course of people trying to move towards wellness is as complicated it's complicated for all of us. It's not a simple one-step thing. So we've set up a system above Insight that allows for multiple, you just, you attend as often as you need that way to get where you're going. The uses of these services need to be centered around people's genuine desires rather than our desires for them. So I would say, sometimes I say, if I'm talking to my uncle and he doesn't really get this, I, I, I do lean on the fact that it's an excellent avenue towards treatment. Darwin Fisher is program manager and coordinator of the Insight Clinic, a supervised injection facility in Vancouver, British Columbia. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.